0: welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for his church. Now, here's today's sermon. Sarah told me uh, whenever, whenever we decided we were going to have service tonight, uh, I was like, oh man, I got like three hours here. What, what am I going to do? And, uh, and she's like, just preach an old sermon okay, all right, you know, I actually will, normally I wouldn't, but I will, and so I went, and looked, and looked, and looked, and I found one of my earliest sermons I've ever preached, and, uh, and after I started looking over the text that I preached on that night, or that day, um, just saw so much in the text, and I was like, oh, this is so good, so I just threw the notes to the side, and I just re the a new sermon on that text, <laughs> so over again, and so that's just how that goes, and It's just such a rich, encouraging, uh, and powerful word, isn't it? It's just an endless well that I could I could read this text and any text in the Bible, um, year after year after year, and have new encouragements and new thoughts. And uh, God's just so good in that way. And so uh, Psalm three is what I want us to be looking at tonight. If you'll turn there, Psalm. 3. The topic that we're going to be looking at, as you'll see when we, go, when we read through Psalm 3 in just a few minutes, David is addressing something that all of us feel, all of us go through, anxiety, frustration, discouragement. We all go through those things. We all feel frustration. We all feel discouragement. We all feel anxiety. And yet, David is able to present something that not everybody can have in the midst of what everybody feels. Everyone can relate to the first half. We feel the anxiety. We feel the discouragement. We feel the stress. It's the first half. But not everybody does feel what David feels and expresses at the end a peace, a confidence, a sense of victory, even though he hasn't seen the victory yet. He feels those things because of the Lord in his life. And so, looking on the room, I I, I think I can say confidently that each of us can relate to the entirety of Psalm 3, though maybe not everyone we know and love can. But that just lets us know, doesn't it, that we need to keep pointing people to the Lord so that we can say, hey, I know you can feel stress and anxiety and these sorts of things, but look at what the Lord provides in the midst of those. He provides victory over our stress and anxieties that we might be able to, in relying on Him, find peace. It's really encouraging. David, uh, David felt those things, and And in particular, history has it that um, Psalm 3 was written by David in a very particular time in David's life where he was being chased down and uh, hunted down by his very own son, Absalom. So the story of David's life really, I think, will set the context of what we're going to see in Psalm 3, and I think it really helps us understand the depths of all that David's feeling, and so I think it's worthwhile if I just take a minute or two to, to maybe give a life overview, a very broad life overview of David up till this point in Psalm 3. So David, at a very young age, was anointed to be king over Israel. Though he wasn't going to be king that day, he would be king down the road. And there was a long period of time before he ever became king that the king was reigning, and his name was Saul. And David ended up, after defeating Goliath, got really close to Saul, and Saul became very threatened by him, and he ran David out of the land and wanted to hunt David and kill David because of anointing on David's life that David never asked for. So David finally, though he remained faithful, never fought for, in his own strength, the throne, he ended up getting it. As he was patient and waited on the Lord, he got the throne. Only for a few years later that his son would grow up and chase David out of the same lands that Saul chased him out of and want to kill David for the throne as well. It's very interesting. Think on this. Because of David's anointing by God on his life, he spent much of his life with a target on his back that he never asked for, but he had it, and it was unjustly placed on him, unfairly. He didn't do anything wrong to Saul, and he never did anything wrong to Absalom, and yet the target was placed on his back, and he was viewed in poor light unfairly. And isn't that just a reflection on you and I, as God would anoint us to be his people in this world, we automatically have a target put on our back. We're seen as crazy in a world that hates God. We don't ask for the target on our back. We didn't do anything to deserve it, and yet it's there because you're anointed by God. So it was with David. And so David, while being chased out of Jerusalem by his very own son, Absalom, David pens this psalm feeling a lot of hurt, a lot of pain, a lot of grief. He writes this while his son is out trying to kill him and is while his son sits on his throne. So, with that insight, let me read Psalm 3. O oh Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord. Save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Amen. So in this psalm, and please remember, I wrote this within the last couple hours, and so I'm going to trust God that uh, this will apply to your life well. And I'm going to trust you that you're going to contextualize it in your own life because uh, I didn't have the due time to (laughs) make that happen for you. So I'm going to trust God to speak, and I'm going to trust you to contextualize. In this psalm, I, I see three natural breaks in the progression of David's thought. First, you see David approaching God honestly about his problem, just being so honest with God. From my perspective, this is what I see. This is what I'm feeling. That's going to be verses 1 and 2. We're going to get to that in a second. After that, after he goes to God with all his just human honesty, he then preaches to himself scriptural truths that he really needs to be reminded of. That's verses, I think, 3 through 6. And then lastly, after preaching to himself, reminding him of all that he needs to know in the situation, he bathes himself with scriptural wisdom. Then verses 7 and 8, he calls on God, his true strength, for continued provision in his life. Those are the three natural breaks that I see, and um, I just want to walk through them very quickly. Verses 1 and 2, David is honest with God. Let me, let me read verses 1 and 2 again. It says, Oh, Lord, how many are my foes. Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. So, the, the first complaint in verse 1, it says, many are my foes. Many are rising against me. And he's not exaggerating. He's not making this up. Absalom in the situation, of when David wrote this, Absalom knew that if he wanted to win the throne, or at least he thought this was the case, if he was going to win the throne, he'd, win, he'd have to win the hearts of the people and thus turn the hearts of the people away from their beloved King David. But David was an upright, upstanding man, and so he would have to do this through deception. And so we see, if we go to the story in 2 Samuel 15, we see exactly what Absalom did. It says, Absalom used, used to rise early and he would stand beside the way of the gate. And when any man had a dispute to come before the king for judgment, Absalom would call to him and he would say, from what city are you? And when he said, your servant is of such and such a tribe in Israel, Absalom would say to him, see, your claims are good and right but there is no man designated by the king to hear you then absalom would say oh that i would were judge in this land then every man with a dispute or cause might come to me and i would give him justice and whenever a man came near to pay homage to him he would pay out or put out his hand and take hold of him and kiss him thus absalom did to all of israel who came to the king for judgment. So, Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. So, do you see what he did? David was never pushing anyone away. Absalom got to them first. Before they could ever make it to the king, he stopped him and said, Hey, King doesn't want to see you. He has no interest in helping you. But I'm more than happy to be there for you. And over time, he turned the hearts of people away from David, unbeknownst to David. And he won the hearts of the people. And it worked. If you just look at verse 12, if you just go a few verses later in 2 Samuel 15, we see, and while Absalom was offering a sacrifice, he sent, oh man, for Ahithophel, uh, the Gilonite, David's counselor, from his city to Gilo. And the conspiracy grew strong, and the people with Absalom kept increasing. You see, it was working. It was working. David was misrepresented, he was hated unjustly and unfairly. I don't know if you've ever felt that misrepresented, unfairly ostracized without anybody approaching you to ask you your side of the situation, already made a decision about you, right? This is what was happening to David across a nation of people. Just, just because it's, it's not just, you know, a few people in a small area. It said people would travel from such, such and such tribes. This is nationwide. People weren't wanting to hear from David his side. And so he's saying, if we go back to verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 3, he's saying, Lord, everyone's against me. Everyone's against me. And they're even going so far, verse 2, to say, there's no salvation for my soul. And again, he's not exaggerating. Like this, this was the situation that David was going through. After being ran out of Jerusalem by his son Absalom in fear of his life, he begins going up this hill and begin, somebody begins cursing David, throwing rocks at David. Can you just imagine What feelings you would have if that was happening to you. Basically, summarizing it, they were throwing rocks at him, cursing him, and saying, this is what you get for killing Saul. We can can read this story in 2 Samuel 16, verses 5-8. through It says, when King David came to Behurim, there came out a man of the family of the house of Saul. So this was a relative, whose name was Shimei. The son of Gera, and as he came, he cursed continually, and he threw stones at David and at the servants of King David. And all the people and all the mighty men were on his right hand and on his left. And Shimei said, as he cursed, Get out, get out, you man of blood, you worthless man. The Lord has avenged on you all the blood of the house of Saul. And he keeps going. And in whose place you have resigned. Reigned, sorry. And the Lord has given the kingdom into the hands of your son Absalom. See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Now again, just remember the story here. David is so misrepresented. Because in fact, David never killed Saul. In fact, the exact opposite. David refused to kill Saul. He had many opportunities and he cut the side of his cloak. He took his staff and his spear Multiple times he caught Saul sleeping, and he refused to kill him every single time, because he said, "This is the Lord's anointed." David loved to preserve the life of Saul. And in fact, when somebody actually ended up killing Saul, David executed that person, because he said that person should have never laid their hands on the Lord's anointed. And so for now, David' would be getting rocks thrown at him, receiving curses, saying that he killed Saul, and now he deserves everything he's getting. Can you just imagine? he's feeling in verses 1 and 2. God, everybody's against me. And they're even saying, I'm not even saved. My soul is damned. I just can't imagine that when, just thinking about it in our lives, when we're wrong, when we're misrepresented and frustrated. I think we can learn a lot from David here. He turned to God in prayer. He turned to God. He was just honest with God. Can I just say, we don't, I don't think we do that enough, guys. I, I really don't. I, don't. I don't think we do that enough as God's people. I know I, myself, oftentimes bec- can become so self dependent and self reliant. Honestly, like. I kind of, I see myself in Judah, like where, uh, let me give you an analogy where oftentimes I want to help Judah out with something, right, put on his jacket, buddy, we got to go bye-bye, you know, and so I get down on one knee and I'm trying to put his jacket on and he's pushing my hand away saying, Judah, Judah, and Judah wants to put it on, so Judah, Judah puts it on, right, or or I'll say, okay, let's brush your teeth, and I try to brush his teeth and he pushes my hand and he's, Judah, Judah, how much do I see myself in that when I do that to God, right, I'm just, Isaac, Isaac, Isaac. Not David. He approaches God, He says, "God, this is my situation." And it hurts. I think we can learn from David to turn to God in prayer, just to be honest about our pain, and it, to elaborate to God our perspective. Because our perspective matters, right? From our vantage point, what it feels like what it looks like. I think that matters to just talk to God about. So he did. He didn't just jump straight into, God, I know you're the God of victory. God, I know you've got this handled. Now, he, he, he gets to that, but, but he starts with, God, from my vantage point, this is how I feel. I think we should be doing that more. So that's what he does. He starts with just being honest with God, and then he begins to preach to himself in a prayer to God, I think, four glorious truths that he needed reminded of. verses three through six. Let me read it again. It says, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the lifter of my head. I know he's speaking to God here, by the way, but I really think oftentimes our prayers are to God, but they minister to us just as much as they are speaking to God. I think that's what he's doing. He's talking to God, but he's also speaking to himself in a lot of ways. So he says, God, you are my shield my glory, and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and He answered me from His holy hill. I lay down, and I slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Each verse, I think, teaches a new truth that David really needed in that moment, and maybe you need. Let me go through them very quickly. In verse 3, I think this truth is that It is God who wins the battle. It's God who wins the battle. He says in verse 3, But you, O Lord, are a shield about me. You're my glory, and you're the lifter of my head. Right? So he's not saying, I'm my shield. I'm going to be my glory. I'm going to lift my own. He says, God, it's you. It's you. It's you. So I think oftentimes we need to just be reminded in the midst of all that we feel and that's going on, we can say, God fights the battle. God fights the battle. Verse 4, second truth. I think you need to be reminded that God hears and God answers. God hears and answers our prayers. That's what he says in verse 4. He says, I cried aloud to the Lord and He answered me. He answered me from His holy hill. How often do we feel just in the midst of our struggles that we're just alone in it? David in his prayer reminded himself, God's listening to this right now. And sometimes I just need to vocalize that. Have you ever prayed? I have you ever prayed this? I I, I have prayed this so many times. God, I know you, I know you're listening right now. God, I know you're here. I know you hear my words. Please respond, right? please act please do and and i know i'm not reminding god that he's hearing me <laughs> he knows he's hearing me he says i know i'm hearing you <laughs> I really i'm saying that because i need to be reminded of that i think that's what he's doing here So that's the second truth god hears and he answers our prayers third truth verse five he reminds himself that god is much more capable of defending him than he is God is much more capable of defending and sustaining him than he is. And it's true for us, too. God is much more capable of defending us than we are of defending us. He says, I lay down and I slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. And again, this is in the story of 2 Samuel. In fact, we see if we go to 2 Samuel 16, David was exhausted from his run away from Absalom. He's exhausted. It says, verse 13, 2 Samuel 16, it says, So David and his men went on the road while Shimei went along. That that, that was the guy that was throwing the stones. While Shimei went along on the hillside opposite him and cursed at him, and he just kept walking alongside David. Could you just imagine that? He wouldn't let him go. And he went and he threw stones at him and he flung dust. And the king and all the people who were with him arrived weary at the Jordan, and there he refreshed himself. He's tired. He's exhausted. And Solomon's men knew that, and they planned on capitalizing on that and attacking him while he was exhausted and sleeping, because they thought he would be defenseless when he's asleep. That was their plan. Verse, or Chapter 17, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, Ahithophel said to Absalom, let me choose 12,000 men and all arise and pursue David tonight. I will come upon him while he is weary and discouraged. Isn't that the devil's plan? I will come upon him while he's weary, while he's discouraged, and throw him into a panic and all the people who are with him will flee. He keeps going, I think. I will strike down Only the king, and I will bring all the people back to you as a bride, comes home to her husband. You seek the life of only one man, and all the people will be at peace. Verse 4, and the advice seemed right in the eyes of Absalom, and all the elders of Israel. All the elders of Israel said, yeah, you should do that. But by God's providence, if you kept reading in chapter 17... David was alerted just in time. He was able to get up and flee. And so just go back to to the text in Psalm 3, and it makes so much sense when he says, I was able to lie down, and I was able to sleep, and I woke again, for you sustained me. Do you see what he's saying here? Based on 2 Samuel 17, David was able to sleep, and while he wasn't able to defend himself, while he had blind spots, knew that our God doesn't sleep, and our God does not have blind spots. And while he couldn't defend himself, he knew he was being defended nonetheless by the greatest defender. That's the third truth. God is more capable of defending him than he is of defending himself. Last truth, and it's because of the first three. We do not need to fear any enemy. We don't need to fear any enemy. That's in verse 6. He says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. You see, I think that's based on the first three truths that we already looked at. Because God's the one who wins the battles. Because God hears his prayers and answers his prayers. And because God is more capable of defending him than he is. Now, I'm not going to fear anyone. I'm not going to fear anyone. And I think, obviously, that's true for us as well. No power can overcome God's people. And it just makes me think, I'm turning there right now because I know it's not going to be on the screen. It's Romans 8 for us, isn't it? Verse 37 of Romans 8. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loves us. For I'm sure that neither death, nor life, nor angel, nor ruler, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing can touch us. Nothing can touch us because, because God is our defender and he fights our battles. So, that's that second part there. David preached to himself four glorious truths. Lastly, after refueling himself with biblical wisdom, and confidence, he calls on the Lord for continued provision. Let me read it, verse 7 and 8. So just now knowing he's got so much confidence, that like God's fighting my battle, nothing's going to happen to me. He says in verse 7, arise then, O Lord. Save me, O oh my God, for you will strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. So there's just general, incapping confidence and call on God to arise and save him. He says that at the beginning and at the end of these two verses, arise, O oh Lord, and save me salvation belongs to the Lord. So it's just this end capping of God does the saving. It doesn't have to be in my strength. God does the saving. And I think we should notice that he's saying, arise, O Lord, in verse 7, while in verse 5, I think it's 5, he says, I can lay down and sleep. You see that? verse 5 I lay down and I sleep the Lord sustains me but the Lord arise Lord Don't you just see that God fights my battles It's like the Psalm 23 I you lay me down beside still waters while the shepherd is fighting off the wolves It's glorious it's amazing And I think he's able to call on God, and he does call on God to do this because he knew that his problem was only fixable by God. Let me say that again. I just wrote that down on my bulletin as I was thinking about it while we were singing earlier. David called on God to be his salvation because he knew his problem was only a problem that could be fixed by God. It's a God-sized problem. Only God could do it. So he calls on God to save me me. He needed two things to take place. He says it in verse 7. Firstly, he says, this is why I'm calling on you, God. This is why I need you to do what only you can do. It's because you're the one that strikes my enemies on the cheek, and you're the one who breaks the teeth of the wicked. That's what you do, God. And that's what David needed to be done. Very strange phrases. But for them, in his context, it made a lot of sense. He says, strike my enemies on the cheek. This was an ancient Israel custom that was actually a real thing. And it was challenging somebody to speak the truth and take back the falsehood that they spoke. When you hit somebody on the cheek, it was challenging them that they were lying and they needed to admit it. It was an Israelite custom. And so he's saying, God, only you can slap the cheek of this enemy. Everyone's lying about me, that I don't love my people, that I'm the one that killed Saul. God, only you can slap their cheek. What he's basically saying is, God, make truth prevail and stop the lies from spreading. Only you can do this. Save me, God, for you're the one who strikes the enemy on the cheek. And secondly, God, you're the one who breaks the teeth of the wicked. Again, this was an ancient Israelite saying, of carries over today, saying, you're the one who renders my enemies powerless, right? You, you, you take the teeth out of the bite, right? You break the teeth of the wicked. David knew that it was God, not himself, who would stop his enemies from doing what they were doing. So, basically, he's saying, God, Contain the damage that's already been done and stop the damage from continuing. Only you can make this happen. And what's amazing is that's exactly what happens. If you just go back to 2 Samuel 18, David's heartbroken because Absalom ends up dying. But God fought the battle. and David didn't have to take the life of his own son. Just notice what David's doing here, what he's not doing. He's not planning to retaliate. What he is doing is trusting God to fight the battle for him. God will make sure that truth prevails. God will set the record straight. And God will make the evil person lose their power. God takes the power from the enemy. Isn't that true for you and I? Oh, death, where is your sting? Thank you, Jesus. For you have taken, you've broken the teeth of the wicked and dying on the cross for us. So, I just encourage you tonight, whatever you're going through, of course, I, I, I can't know what you're going through. But follow David's method here. Be honest with God. Maybe you've dealt with something for as long as you can remember. That's David, by the way, remember. Remember. David has dealt with people trying to kick him off his throne almost as long as he probably can remember. He was a kid when he was anointed. If that's the case for you, you've been dealing with this situation for so long, be honest with God. Cry out to Him. Cast yourself on Him. And then preach yourself, preach to yourself godly truths. Remind yourself that God fights for you. Remind yourself that God hears you. He sees you. Remind yourself that God can do more for you than you ever can do. Remind yourself that you don't need to be afraid of any enemy. So, therefore, we can just call on God. God, the God of my salvation. May you do what only you can do. It's a beautiful, beautiful psalm. And I hope it in some way encourages you. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.